Hello, and welcome to the Sacrifice of Praise podcast, where we discuss what it means to praise God even when it's difficult. My name is Tori. And my name is Mary. And we are your hosts. Come chat about faith and life with your new sisters in Christ and enjoy learning and growing alongside us. We are so glad you're here. Hello, welcome back to Sacrifice of Praise. We have a awesome episode in store for you, and it is all about natural family planning, which is also referred to as NFP. So some of you guys are listening to this and are super excited for this episode, and some people might be like, what the heck are you talking about? Well, all of your questions are going to be answered. Thank you for everyone who submitted their questions to us on our Instagram. We tried to get to as many as we can, but um, there was a few that we just didn't have time to get to. But she does, Kara does a great job getting into all of our questions. Kara is our guest for today, and she is the expert when it comes to NFP. Kara's story, she is a wife, a mother, and a mother of five children, ages 11 to eight months. Together with her husband, Adam, she has been teaching marriage prep courses for the past 10 years for the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. In her limited free time, she is also a freelance writer with articles appearing in publications such as Verily Embodied and Family Foundations, which is a magazine specifically devoted to NFP. So she's our girl when it comes to NFP, and I'm so excited to dive into this episode. But before we do that, of course, we got to share our current favorites, and I'm going to let Mary go first. Perfect. Okay. I'm excited about this one. So I think we've talked about Palo on our podcast before. I'm not sure. I think it was maybe like the cool Catholic businesses episode is when we talked about it, I think. Yeah. But um, if you're not familiar with Halo, or maybe I've already had it as a current favorite, that would be interesting, but it's fine. It's still a current favorite. So um, Halo is an app and it is a basically like a guided prayer meditation app. They also have a sleep um, section as well. So it's like meditation, prayer, sleep. It's a Catholic based prayer app and they have tons of different prayers. They have podcasts on there. They have so many incredible resources. And for Black Friday, I don't know if they're still doing this or not, um, but for Black Friday, they had a you can sign up for three free months of the pro subscription. So if you just download Halo, it's, um, it is free, but you only get a certain amount of things. Like you, you can't, you don't get access to all of the goodness. Um, but for black Friday, they did this three months free. And so I signed up and I have been loving it so much. So I've been doing like basically all my prayer has been through that lately. Like the last, I would say week, and a half or so I've been doing, um, the St. Andrew Christmas prayer. And I've been doing that on the app. I've also been saying the seven sorrows rosary a lot and they have, um, that on the app. And so just tonight I was walking with bloom at the track and was listening to seven sorrows. So anyways, it's just, it's so incredible. I love that app so much. And it's honestly, I feel like I maybe need to just purchase the subscription once my um, months are up because it's just so it's been truly life-giving. So that's been my current favorite. Yes. I've heard so many good things about that app and I, I need to check it out. I I've downloaded it before, but 
never the pro. So I guess I'm missing out on all of the great stuff that it has to offer. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, Okay. So I've got two current favorites that I'll share. My first one is the Chobani creamer, coffee creamer. (laughs) I told Mary to remind me, but I, when I was over, we went over to a friend's house after mass one Sunday and, um, she had this creamer and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is really good. I usually just am like a half and half curly, but now I've changed my ways and put some creamer in my coffee in the morning and it's good. Um, so that's a current favorite. And then also, um, black Friday came around and I have been bugging my husband about getting a treadmill and we finally got one and it was like a steal of a deal on black Friday. And so it was just like perfect situation. So we got it and I've just been so happy to have it in our house Mm -hmm. and I'm really looking forward to using it throughout the winter months because I'm going to miss my walks outside a lot and starting to get back into running a little bit more consistently. And just, I feel like that's my motivation now. It's like, okay, no excuses. It's right down the stairs. I guess the only excuse is if the baby is, or babies are crying, then I have to cut Mm -hmm. it short. Like I just, I have to share the story because this was, I was just having one of those days today. And, um, the only time I feel like I can really get a good workout in it is in, um, during the twins first nap of the day. Cause it's usually the longest one. So I put them down I go down to the basement and get ready for my run and feeling good. Turn on the treadmill, hit start and the lights turn off the treadmill turns oh, off. No. Like what the heck is going on? I was so mad because I was like looking at the clock. I'm like, I only have so much time to get this in. And I blew a fuse and yeah. I'm calling Tim. He's like, you blew a fuse, like go check it, figure it out. <laughs> I couldn't figure it out for the life of me. So then I ran outside and I grabbed the extension cord that's currently used. We're using for our Christmas lights. <laughs> it down to the basement and like ran my extension cord because I'm like I am getting my run in today before these twins wake up so anyway the that's amazing I love it the dedication is real well we'll see well hopefully it lasts right everyone makes that joke well make sure you don't let it collect dust because oh I'm a (laughs) I'm a treadmill girl to the end we have a treadmill and I use it all the time and I I used it last year all the time. We got it last year off Facebook marketplace for super cheap. And I used it all like literally every single day. And now I'm like back to it's winter, you know? And so I'm back to using it pretty much every day. I love it. Mine does not collect us. Well, it does in the summer, but yeah, it's possible. Yes. It's possible. And it's on your little break, right? So your own time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Definitely current babe. All right. We've got so much good stuff coming your way. So let's go ahead and dive into our conversation with Kara. Perfect. Well, welcome Kara. We are so excited to have you on the sacrifice of praise. This is a big topic and one that I'm really excited to dive into because my husband and I are in the thick of the NFP world. And I know a lot of our listeners are as well. And so we have some listeners that are very, very, very familiar with NFP. And then we have a handful of other listeners that have maybe heard of natural family planning, which we'll refer to as NFP throughout this episode, but they may not know like what that means or what it all entails. So maybe to just kick us off, if you could 
explain what natural family planning is to those who might not be that familiar with it. Yeah, and also the different methods to NFP, because I know that there are a few different methods as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, so natural family planning is just a blanket term for methods a couple can use to either achieve or avoid pregnancy. Um, the methods use observable um, and naturally occurring signs in a woman's body to determine when she is fertile and also when she is infertile. These signs are mainly like cervical mucus, basal body temperature, position of the cervix even, um, and then the measurement of hormones in a woman's urine. Um, so if a couple is trying to avoid pregnancy, they will abstain from sex during the wife's fertile period, which depending on the woman can last anywhere about seven to 10 days. Um, in a woman with irregular cycles or someone who's maybe suffering from PCOS, that length of time can be longer. But in general, in normal cycles, it's about seven to 10 days. Um, now on the flip side, if a couple is trying to get pregnant, then a couple knows to use their fertile period to try to conceive a baby. Um, as to the methods, there are so many methods out there, um, and they each focus on different observable signs. So, for example, the Creighton model and the Billings ovulation method are both cervical mucus-based methods. Um, TempDrop uses temperature. The couple-to-couple league is um, known as a symptothermal method, which uses kind of a mix of different signs. Um, and then there's Marquette method, which actually uses a monitor. It uses the clear blue easy fertility monitor to test for estrogen and luteinizing hormone in a woman's urine. Um, I do want to also mention when we talk about monitors, I want to mention another monitor called Mira. Um, it's somewhat new. Um, while the clear blue monitor is a qualitative monitor in that it gives readings of low, high, and peak uh, based on preset thresholds, right? Uh, Mira is a quantitative monitor that will actually give you your actual hormone numbers, which I think is huge for women with hormone imbalances, um, specifically women with PCOS, right? My sister-in-law uses this, this um, monitor and she says it's just been a game changer for her in understanding where her body's at because for her, right, she has higher thresholds of what's necessary for her actual fertile window. Um, again, there are so many methods out there. These are just some of the most popular. Um, I can't stress enough though, how important it is to actually take a class on a specific method, right? Women should not just read a few things online and try to figure it out for themselves, right? That usually from the woman I've talked to doesn't go well, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. so it's extremely important to work with a teacher who can look at your specific charts and answer your specific questions because, um, any NFP method is really tailored to you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Okay, that was a great, great description and kind of like to dive in. I think um, a lot of our listeners are Catholic. Some are new Catholics, some aren't Catholic. Um, when you think of NFP, a lot of us think Catholics. Um, so I, we're kind of curious, like as Catholics, is NFP the only option? So no, right? The other option though, is a, a couple can choose not to use anything. So, so um, the church though is clear that a couple can't use any drugs, devices, mm -hmm. surgeries to prevent pregnancy. Um, another way to put this is that a couple can't use anything before, during, or after um, the act that will, the sexual act that will sterilize it. So every sexual act must be open to life. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty clear. Um, I, I know that there are some women who might struggle with infertility that um, are told other things as well. Is there other exceptions for women who are struggling with infertility on ways to help them conceive um, using something that might not be or might be like artificial, if that makes sense? Right. Um, so the church would say, no, like a woman cannot use IVF. They cannot use IUI. So intrauterine insemination, um, any of those things, because, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but like, because it violates the unitive and the procreative aspects of sex. Yeah. And so, um, but the cool thing is with natural family planning is that a lot of times women can use it to try to diagnose, you know, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, but like diagnose issues that they're having um, because charting actually reveals so much about a woman's body that Mm -hmm. she can then receive holistic treatments for that are all in line with church teaching. Mm, That's great. So, okay, let's back up just a little bit. And if, if you could maybe just share briefly how you first heard about natural family planning, um, your first thoughts about it and how you found a method that worked for you and your family. Yeah. Um, so gosh, I think I was maybe like sixth or seventh grade and this isn't NFP per se, but this is just like the church's teaching. Right. I remember being like sixth or seventh grade and the news was on in my house and my mom left the room and then she came back and she said, Oh, like, what did I miss? And there had been a little news like clip about how JP2 had like reiterated um, and reconfirmed the church's teaching that you couldn't use artificial or just birth control, right? Contraceptives. And um, so I told her that and she was like, so like, do you know what birth control is? And I was like, well, yeah, like, you know, people can wear condoms if they don't want to get pregnant. And she was just like, oh, well, so, you know, like as Catholics, like we can't use any of that. Um, and I was just like, okay. And I'm, I'm guessing, you know, once I got into high school and all that, like maybe I think she kind of talked to me a little bit in general that there were like, you know, mm-hmm. natural family planning methods, but it was kind of like, I don't remember anything specific. Yeah. And then in college, um, the, the group I was with, um, all of my friends, like, as you know, we're starting to date and all these things, like these discussions are coming up and, you know, everyone was on board with the church's teaching. So that was never like an issue. Um, and then my junior year of college, one of my roommates, she'd gotten engaged summer prior. And so all during that year of school, she was charting. Right. And so she had this like big book out and we were, she was talking about mucus and baby stickers and like the red stickers and all these things. And I just found it super fascinating. Um, I just thought it was super cool. And it just so happened that the, that next summer after my junior year of college, I ended up interning at a nonprofit and the woman who was the executive director, um, she taught NFP. She um, taught for the Creighton model um, and she wasn't, she wasn't married. She was a single woman. And so that was kind of the first time that like my eyes were opened to um, just charting in general and what that can do as far as um just diagnosing things, right? Like she wasn't married. She wasn't necessarily concerned about getting pregnant, but she had really painful periods. And Mm -hmm. so she was already having surgeries, right? And and as a woman for her, she was in her late thirties, knowing she still wanted to get married, potentially have kids. She wanted to fix some of these things now, right? Before she got married. 
Um, and so I remember having conversations with her in the office and just talking about the, you know, natural family planning and cervical mucus and what it did and all the things it can diagnose. And, and it, that was pretty cool. And so then um, when Adam and I started dating, I think we both were just always on the same page. Like there was never any question. Um, we both came from very strong Catholic families. Adam had been in seminary for a little while. Um, we both kind of knew that that was the route we were going to take. But even so, I was probably overly enthusiastic about the idea. So when we got engaged, we got engaged in the afternoon. And that evening we went and had dinner together. And at one point I looked over at him and I grabbed his arm and I was like, this means we get to learn NFP now. I was so excited. And he was just like, okay, like, (laughs) I mean, we're going to do this, but I don't think I'm like that excited. Um, So that was for, you know, us, we started with the Creighton model, um, which was a godsend. I uh, wasn't getting pregnant by the end of six months. And so, um, we went underwent some testing, found I had an ovulation issue the very first month of um, treatment through, you know, the NAPRO doctor. I conceived our son, Gabriel. Um, praise be to God, I've never added like an issue since. Um, but that's what we started with. And then a couple of years later, we did learn the couple to couple leagues method, symptothermal. Um, that was mainly because my husband's the director of marriage and family life in the diocese here. And he wanted to start offering like classes to, to people. And in the symptoms, in the couple to couple leagues classes, you can get more bodies in the classroom. Mm-hmm. So we were like, well, we're going to learn it. We're going to become teachers. Um, we learned it, but we never actually made it to becoming a teacher. Like life just happened. Babies, more babies started coming. It just wasn't going to work. And so, um, but I kind of used it still on the side, right? Like I would still temp, like check my temperature in the morning sometimes. Cause I just thought it was like cool to like, see like, oh yeah, I did ovulate. Um, and then about four years ago, um, after we had a little girl who was stillborn back in June of 2018, and I had never been postpartum and not breastfeeding before. Mm. And so at that point, um, I learned the Marquette method. Um, I just needed to see what was going on more with my hormones and my urine. Um, we knew I had been on bed rest for three months prior. I knew I needed to get back my strength. I needed time to grieve all those things. Um, and so we switched to that method. Um, so that's kind of the main one I use now. Although I will say like, once you like learn like the cervical mucus method, it's like, you can never like forget that. Right. It's all, it's, I still, it's always there. Right. Every time I go to the bathroom, I'm still checking. And so, um, it is nice though, that like, I kind of use a bunch of different ones now, but I would say mainly we use the Marquette model. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. So I think one of the biggest oppositions that come to mind regarding NFP is that one, it doesn't work or two, there's like no end in sight. Um, So a lot of people, you know, don't take it seriously or they kind of scoff at the idea of it. Um, So for those that maybe have like a hard time believing that NFP is really effective, what would you tell them? Like, where would you start with that? Yeah. Um, I think this is like a hurdle for a lot of people, um, right? Because we hear the joke, right? What do you call people who use NFP? We call them parents, you know? <laughs> um, and I think it's good to remember that like the NFP of our grandparents is not, you know, what we use. They're not the modern method. So like our grandparents may have used the rhythm method, which um, 
was based on this idea that every woman has a perfect 28 day cycle. She'll always ovulate on day 14. And therefore you're going to have specific parameters around that of when to abstain. And like most women know, like even with, with regular cycle, with regular cycles, every now and then it's going to shift, right? Something stressful will happen or a sickness will happen. And so the methods we have today are not of years past. Um, so that being said, the statistics show with our modern methods that couples who are diligent in charting and carefully follow the rules of their method have a 97 to 99% efficacy rate when trying to avoid pregnancy. Now, couples who don't consistently follow their methods rules, or maybe they aren't clear with each other if they're trying to conceive or not trying to conceive, which does happen, right? right. They're a little unsure. Um, they have a lower efficacy rate of about maybe 88 to 95%. Um, again, this is going to vary depending on method. So maybe there might be some methods where it's a little bit you know, less or whatever, but um, in general, about 88 to 95% um, true use. So one of the largest studies ever done, which I think this is super fascinating, um, was actually done in 1982. And researchers worked with just under 20,000 mostly poor women in Calcutta, India, um, many of whom were actually taught NFP by Mother Teresa's nuns, the missionaries of charity. Um, and what this study found was that the failure rate for these women was 0.2% for the wow. entire study, which I think is just like super fascinating. Um, I know, you know, one of the things that we hear teaching marriage prep classes sometimes is like, well, yeah, we can do this in like the modern, you know, first world countries, but what about third world countries? Like they have to be given contraceptives. The truth is no, like with the right people to teach them. And, you know, mm -hmm. part of the study I read said that like they had really good teachers and these women were really serious about following the rules because for them, especially the ones who are in like very deep poverty, it was very important to them. So mm -hmm. I think that's just really fascinating. Um, but when we talk about NFP's effectiveness, I think we focus so much on, is it effective in avoiding pregnancy? But NFP right on the other side of it is very effective in helping a couple achieve pregnancy. Yeah. So for example, like looking at the statistics of the Creighton model, um, in couples with normal fertility who then use the fertile days of intercourse, 90% conceive within the first three cycles um, and 98% conceive by the sixth cycle of use. And then, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but for couples who are having a hard time getting pregnant, Charting can reveal so much about where the infer infertility issue might be stemming from. So issues such as endometriosis, PCOS, low progesterone, right? Which can also not only be a big issue with PMS, but also recurrent miscarriage. Um, and there's a whole host of other things, but those things can show up on a chart. And there are doctors out there specifically, you know, or namely NAPRO doctors who can read these charts and then um, do further testing and offer treatment that in no way violates God's plan for sexuality. Um, and these treatments are, you know, and a lot of times more effective than the artificial means that we talked about, like IVF and IUI. And they're substantially cheaper too. Mm -hmm. um, now, I think, you know, as this question goes, one of my questions for you guys was this, like, there's no end in sight. You know, is that based more on thoughts of having to abstain for very long periods of time or more like it feels like it's just a lot of work to track fertility every day for like decades of your life? I think, yes, Anne, like both. Because <laughs> okay. I think okay. both are frustrations amongst women who are committed to NFP. Because it does seem like there's long periods of abstaining if you know, you're postpartum breastfeeding and don't know when your cycle's coming back. 
And also it's like, this is just our life. Like we're just going to be tracking every cycle. Yeah. Um, well, I think this comes back to something that I've been pondering for the last few years. And one of my biggest issues with the NFP movement is that in an effort to convince people to use it, um, we try to make it look glamorous, right? Either it's pictures of smiling women surrounded by their perfect smiling babies um, or testimonies from couples. It's just how good it is for their marriage. Um, now, I totally and wholeheartedly agree that NFP is one of, has been one of the greatest blessings in my marriage with Adam. Um, but at times we have to say it's also hard, right? Mm-hmm. We have to be able to say NFP is beautiful and it's good, but it can be hard. Um, you know, at times we have to practice self-denial and even suffer a little bit. Um, NFP, I mean, I view it as NFP is like the treasure in the field, right? We have to sell some things to buy the field to get this treasure. And it requires sacrifice. And I think today in a society that is pretty allergic to suffering, right, at all costs, um, we need to be able to say that, yes, this is hard, but yes, it is worth it. Um, and while I think the alternative seems easier, right, just to use contraceptives, um, there will still be suffering, right? Instead, it might be through the health issues that contraceptives um, can cause or marital issues that some from how a couple has trained themselves to look at each other throughout the years, right? That they're looking at each other mainly as a means of their own gratification. And so there's going to be suffering. It's how do you want to channel this, Right. And for what, what are the goods and the ends that you want to have here? Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so good. And that's so true. Like I actually was just listening to another podcast that was talking about NFP and a lot about, a lot about NFP is self-mastery and like figuring out how to deny oneself and being able to like say no when it's time to say no. And, And the no will be you know, or whenever it's time to engage in that act, like it will be even more special, you know? Um, and I think that's just, it's so true. Like NFP isn't always glamorous, isn't always easy. It's, it can be really hard. It can be really frustrating, but there's a lot of beauty that comes out of it. So I'm, that was such a great answer. Um, one of our listeners questions is, um, she said, I saw a stat on www.nhs.uk that said, if followed correctly, NFP has a 99% effective rate of avoiding pregnancy, which you kind of just covered. And she says, which is essentially the same rate as birth control. If it has the same percentage or effectiveness, why is the Catholic church against artificial contraception? Yeah. And I think this is a great question. Um, I think it, you know, from the questions you sent me ahead of time, it really ties into another one. Um, is it okay if I go ahead and read that? Cause I think oh, yeah. we kind of yeah. answer each other. Okay. You said we're supposed to have sex to bear children. So we're not supposed to use contraceptives, but in the NFP process, aren't we just tricking the system in order to not get pregnant? I understand not using a birth control that affects our body, but I'd love to hear your explanation on it. Okay. So again, they're viewed as the same thing, right? If they, if they um, produce the same end, which is avoiding a child, then shouldn't they be mutually like inter- interchangeable, okay? So, um, you know, in the first question you asked, like they're both effective, so why can't we just use both? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, well, one of 
Okay, so to understand this difference, um, we have to first remind ourselves that as married couples, um, we're supposed to love as God loves, okay? So, um, and how does God love? He loves in a free, total, faithful, and fruitful way. So we, and we see these four aspects mirrored in the vows and the promises that a couple makes on their wedding day. So for example, the priest or deacon will ask the couple, you know, have you come here freely and wholeheartedly um, to give yourselves to each other? You know, will you promise to be faithful to one another? And then will you accept children lovingly and bring, bring them up according to the law of Christ and his church? So again, here we see these aspects, right? We've got free, total, faithful, and fruitful love. So then we say, well, what is sex? Sex is the renewal of a couple's wedding vows. So since we are both body and soul, it is not enough for a couple just to give themselves to each other, you know, give their hearts to each other through the vows, right? Um, but they must also give their very bodies to one another, okay? So every time a couple has sex, they are again saying to each other, I give myself to you freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully. So then... Let's look at how is it that NFP is not tricking the system? Okay, so in NFP, a couple does not violate any of these four aspects of love, right? A couple is still being open to life, even when they're choosing to have sex at a time when through no action of their own, conception cannot occur, right? This happens all the time. A wife is already pregnant, okay? Um, maybe a wife is post-menopause, right? So those are through nothing that she can control, right? And so we know that conception is impossible in those circumstances, but that's based on how God has designed things, right? On the other hand, contraception violates every one of these aspects of love. Um, I'm not gonna get into all of them, but specifically looking at how love is supposed to be total, contraception negates this um, because it says, it's when one or both of the spouses is saying, I give myself to you, or I give all of myself to you except my fertility, mm. right? Like it's a rejection of that person's fertility. I don't want it or I don't want to give it to you, okay? And so um, this withholding of fertility through the use of contraception, it makes the marital act no longer a total gift of self. Now, another way to look at this, hopefully, I'm trying to do multiple um, analogies here, right? So people can really, can really hit home. Um, another way to look at this is how in Catholic moral theology, um, we say that the ends don't justify the means. Right. So in the question you just asked, we're kind of saying the end is the same, um, but the means are different. But it shouldn't that it doesn't matter. Right. No, we say it does matter and it matters a lot. Um, so using a different example. Right. We wouldn't say that working overtime and stealing from the cash register are moral equivalents to making more money. Right. We would say no, like stealing is definitely wrong. But, you know, putting in more hours to make a little more money, like that's a very like virtuous way to do things. Um, and so in fact, you know, in order for an act to be considered morally good, we have to evaluate it by three factors, okay? We evaluate it by its intention, its circumstance, and then the act itself. <clears throat> so all of these aspects must be considered good for an act to be considered moral. Um, for example, Let's imagine that we were, the three of us were actually at a coffee shop, right? And we were having this discussion at a coffee shop. And when we got up to leave, we ran into a homeless woman outside the door. And um, I decided to take out $20 and give this money to the homeless lady. Now, most people would say, right, that giving money to a homeless lady um, is 
you know, someone in need is definitely a good thing, right? Like we can all pretty much agree on that. The act of doing that is good. Okay. Mm -hmm. In fact, my intention was to help the woman, which we'd say, well, that's a good intention. And I had $20 to spare. So my circumstances were good. Okay. So therefore we have a moral act. But what if when I took out the $20, I waved it in the air in front of the two of you, you know, I want to make sure you guys saw that I had this $20 and I was going to give it to her. And I said very loudly, you know, ma'am, here is $20. Now what happens to my intention, right? It becomes prideful, right? I'm showing off to the two of you. Okay. So even though the act and the circumstances were good, my intention is not. Okay. Now, what if I had a good intention? But, and we know the act is good, but the circumstance is that I just gave away the last $20 I had to feed my family for that week. Okay. And we'd say, well, that's not right. You have an obligation to feed your family first. So again, the act is no longer moral. Now let's take these principles and apply them to NFP and contraception. Okay. So let's say that, you know, the couples who are using NFP and contraception, let's say they both have the same intention to avoid pregnancy, right? That's a little oversimplification, but let's go with that, okay? Um, and couples could be using both because they have legitimate circumstances to avoid another pregnancy, okay? So now this means that it's gonna come down to the act itself. But by abstaining from sex during a woman's fertile period, the couple isn't doing anything to change the sexual act, right? Couples choose not to have sex for all sorts of reasons, right? Perhaps they're ill. Maybe they just had a baby and then their first week, six weeks postpartum, right? Uh, maybe they're staying with their in-laws. Maybe they're in a public place, right? There are lots of things that a couple times a couple chooses not to have sex. Um, and we wouldn't say they're doing anything wrong by choosing not to have sex. On the other hand, when a couple uses contraceptives, they are manipulating the act itself. They're physically changing, right? They're introducing methods or sterilizations and lots of things, but they're physically changing what sex is, which is the free, total, faithful, and fruitful gift of self. So that's where they are different, right? We're changing, like sex with contraceptions is, is manipulating the act so that it no longer can be this total, faithful, fruitful, free self-gift. I will say though, a caveat is it's important to note that given how we you know, evaluate a moral act, a couple could hypothetically use NFP in an immoral way, right? Maybe their intention is that they definitively do not want to ever have children, right? Um, they, children will take away their free time and their money and their sleep. And we are just making this decision. We're never having kids, but I just don't want to, you know, have hormones in my body, let's say. Okay. Well, we would say, no, you're, that's not a good intention. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're not really being open to life. Um, so again, it's important that our intention, our circumstance and the active act itself are each in their own good, which is why, you know, regardless of the efficacy rate, you still can't use contraceptives. They're not moral equivalents. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. That <laughs> just was an incredible answer. Thank you for laying that out because I do think that that is one of the biggest struggles that people have with NFP in general and kind of one of the biggest like battles internally that a lot of people have. So I appreciate you really laying it out like that because I feel like that just helped me understand it so much more. And I think um, 
that leads really perfectly actually into our next question, because you talked a little bit about how, <clears throat> you know, maybe there's a very specific reason why they're not, you know, uh, having sex or maybe there's a very specific reason why they don't want to have another child right now. So let's dive into that kind of the rules of how that goes. So this was a submitted question and this is what um, they wrote. They said, from my understanding, the teaching says that if you don't have a grave reason to avoid, you shouldn't. I'd like more clarity on this. For example, when we don't have a grave reason to avoid, but we do not feel called to have another baby yet, or if a spouse feels done having children, or if you just simply don't want more children, I think a vast majority of people reach this point and it's why people laugh at the idea. So what constitutes as a grave reason? From everything I've read, it seems so subjective. Yeah, so um, I love this question because I think it's going to allow us the opportunity to clear up some misconceptions, okay? So this belief that you must have a grave reason to avoid pregnancy is in itself a misconception, okay? Um, it stems back to a mistranslation of a paragraph in Humanae Vitae. Um, for any of your listeners out there who are linguists or super interested in this or are, you know, they've always heard grave reason and they're doubting what I'm saying, I would really suggest um, Googling the article Humanae Vitae, Grave Reasons to Use a Good Translation. Um, and it's put up by Homiletic and Pastoral Review. Um, but anyway, kind of a brief synopsis is when um, Humanae Vitae was released in Latin. There was a quick Italian translation done and published, which was the true translation, but then English-speaking world went and did their translation off of the Italian version, and then through there, words got kind of mixed up and changed, um, and so really, it's so important to go back to the original Latin, and so anyway, the word is actually serious. That's the true word. Um, and I'm actually going to read to you the paragraph. Um, it's part of section 10 of Humanae Vitae under Responsible Parenthood. Um, and I found this directly from the Vatican website. So this is what it says on the Vatican website. It says, with regard to physical, economic, psychological, and social conditions, responsible parenthood is exercised by those who prudently and generously decide to have more children and by those who, for serious reasons and with due respect to moral precepts, decide not to have additional children for either a certain or an indefinite period of time. So this is a great paragraph. There's a lot in it. But I think here we hear a few things. One, the church doesn't ask us to have as many kids as is humanly possible. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a misnomer. People think that that's what we're supposed to do. Okay. Um, beautiful family, big families are beautiful and it's a witness of generosity, but not everyone is asked to do that. Okay. Um, second, the church actually calls us to responsible parenthood. And third, when discerning if we have serious reasons to avoid, there are a lot of things we need to take into consideration, right? We've got physical, financial, psychological, social. So, um, but I think it's important here is that it is each couple's job to discern through prayer and thoughtful discussion what constitutes a serious reason for them. Um, it comes down to a matter of conscience. So the way conscience works, I think conscience is often misunderstood, but the way conscience works is that it takes solid pillars of truth 
and then applies them to particular circumstances. So conscience is not just, well, I'm going to do what I think is best, but it's a way of applying the church's perennial teaching to this specific moment. Okay. So the church teaches that the marital act must be unitive and procreative and every act must be open to life. So we cannot sterilize the sexual act. So when I'm using my conscience here, right, the questions I need to ask myself are, you know, are we using NFP in a way that's still open to life? Is our intimacy in this moment respecting both the unitive and procreative ends of sex? Um, again, conscience is not trying to rehash or rediscern the church's teaching and saying to oneself, well, I know the church teaches this, but I've decided mm -hmm. that for my family, something else is better. Uh, now, I know this doesn't answer any specific question of, is this a serious reason or is that a serious reason? But that's kind of the point. Sadly, unfortunately, depending on who you are, right? Some of us really want to know very specifically, am I, am I in line with church teaching here? Am I doing what the Lord's will is, right? Mm -hmm. But again, each family's circumstances are unique and specific. And again, we're supposed to make a prudent decision by taking into account, right, our physical, economic, so psychological, and social conditions. Um, and this also includes the needs of the children we currently have, right? We talk about responsible parenthood, okay? So we need to take into consideration their needs, right? I know of women, um, you want concrete examples, I know of women who have postponed pregnancy due to ex extreme morning sickness, um, women who have had to be more conscientious about child spacing due to severe postpartum depression, or maybe children who are really close together and they just need a moment to breathe essentially, right? Um, or maybe a husband is in medical school. Uh, one of the stories that sticks out in my mind back when we were early married, and it was the first time I kind of, for some reason, I'd always kind of only focused on the financial aspect, right? That was always in my mind, but um, I met a woman who had had three kids. They're all about two years apart, and they're getting ready to move out of state. And due to um, their second child, their middle child, um, he was just someone who really struggled with transitions, right? And mo much of his life had been a transition, right? Um, by the time he's two, he's got another sibling, and maybe they've been closer together than that. I'm not sure, but they had another child, then they're going to move. And so for his sake, they just really felt that taking a moment for their family to just provide some stability for him um, would allow him to kind of maybe grow out of some of this, you know, like just feel more confident, be reassured in their love, all these things. And so they decided to postpone another pregnancy using NFP. In fact, they have, think had a four-year gap between their youngest and then when their um, another child came along. And so there are lots of reasons. I mean, I spoke earlier about having a daughter who was stillborn and saying like, no, like I needed to um, become physically stronger again. I needed time to grieve, right? You have the psychological and the physical right there. Um, now I think a good rule of thumb though is to approach discernment with humility in that like, um, sometimes I may think I'm right and have the right answer and God might say, no, no, like actually my plan's better. And so to just always keep that in mind, remember we're not in control. And I think um, that's, a, you know, the false idea of birth control. Um, I think a woman, any woman who's pregnant, right? That's probably one of the most vulnerable times we feel that we are not in control of what could happen in a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And so um, sometimes NFP is a reminder that we're not in control. Um, but also in this discernment, I think it's important to recognize that God wants to bless us in our choices. 
Okay. And it's not like he's waiting for us to make the wrong, take the wrong path and make the wrong decision and like drop the hammer on us. Right. You know, God has said, I've told you to be generous. I've told you to keep the unitive and procreative aspects of sex intact. I've told you to love yourself and love the children you already have. Should you have another kid? I don't know. What do you think? Right. He wants to be co-creators with us, not just like this, like overarching demeaning person, right? Like demanding that we do everything this like certain way. But he's like, he wants to, we, he wants us to live in freedom, right? Freedom in the Holy spirit. Um, and to say like, I've given you these ways of spacing your births, of understanding your fertility, this gift of what love is between a husband and wife. And I ask that you just work within these confines of, you know, these parameters and to be generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So That's- great. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for answering that too. I feel like that is another really huge question that people struggle with. And I do feel like that's something that we hear a lot of different answers to. So I feel like getting kind of that, you know, that paragraph right from the Vatican's website and like kind of breaking that down, I feel like is really um, helpful. So we do kind of want to transition because we received so many questions from people, like seriously, so many questions. And so we're probably not going to have time to get to all of them, but um, we received so many questions from people that already do NFP that had just specific questions about their situations or um, all of that. So by far the number one thing that I think both Tori and I received from our friends had to do with postpartum and like getting back on track. So Um, This is just one of the questions, but we had multiple people that asked very similar questions to this. So it said, what tips do you have for beginning NFP postpartum? Once your cycle has returned, as I assume it will be probably irregular for a while. And when do you recommend to begin tracking postpartum, especially if you're breastfeeding? Yeah, no, I am right there with them, right? I have an eight month old daughter. So Um, I'm in that postpartum charting time too, um, which can just kind of like be so frustrating at times, right? Um, So the most important tip I have is work with an instructor, okay? So for women who are new to charting, um, make sure you take a class. Um, If you've already taken a class and now need to learn your methods breastfeeding protocol, a lot of instructors will, you know, offer that specific course on the side. So it's, you know, it's a cheaper course than taking everything all together. Um, also I'd say just be patient with your body as it figures itself out and returns to normal, right? Cause depending on the woman, it can be really fast, right? I know women who maybe get their period back at like two months and they're like mad about it. Like that was so short and stuff. <laughs> and then others who it might be, you know, come back at like 14, 16, 18 months. And they're like, that's great. But like, I've been living in like anxiety for the past six months. Cause I'm never sure like when it's going to come like, ah. mm-hmm. and so. And I think for everyone, this can be kind of um, a tricky time. Um, but as far as when to begin charting, you know, each method has its own rules as to when to begin. So you just really have to go back to what your method um, is. For some women, um, they're supposed to start charting as soon as they've stopped bleeding after childbirth, right? After their lochia dries up. Um, for other women, right? Some women might also decide to rely on the lactational amenorrhea method um, during the first six months postpartum. Um, and this basic this method basically says that if a woman is exclusively breastfeeding, um, 
she will has a very, very high likelihood of remaining infertile, right, for her first six months postpartum. Now, a caveat, there are very specific guidelines as to what exclusively breastfeeding means. So um, I encourage listeners to look it up, look through all of the like qualifications and don't just think, oh, I breastfeed, like I count, no. They're very like, how often are you breastfeeding both during the day and during the night, right? Like, like it, there's a lot, it, it's not overwhelming a lot, but it's not as simple as you breastfeed. So make sure mm-hmm. you look that up. Um, for myself, I do usually um, rely on the lactational amenorrhea method for the first six months. Um, but I still during that time will watch for signs of mucus. Um, and then I'll switch to using the Marquette model at six months. Um, excuse me. Um, one piece of advice I do have for women out there who aren't married yet is to make sure you do take a course before you get married. Okay. I know some women who wanted to get pregnant right away after they got married. And so they're like, I'm not going to learn NFP. I'll wait till after I have a baby and then take my course. Okay. Well, there's nothing wrong with this, but if you wait to learn NFP while you're postpartum, um, it's not impossible, but it can be more challenging, right? Um, you don't know the baseline of your cycles and what they were like before you had a baby. Plus, depending on the method, some methods ask a couple to abstain from sex for a month if the first time you're learning the method. Because like for a method that uses cervical mucus, right? Seminal fluid, seminal residue looks very similar to cervical mucus. And so they need the woman to be able to distinguish no, this is what cervical mucus is so that she can then later say, here's the difference, okay? Mm-hmm. So, and nobody who's married wants to give up a whole month, right? Of, you know, op- opportunities to have sex. So for any women out there who aren't married, I, I just always recommend learning prior to getting married too. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. I have just a quick follow-up question. Um, for people who maybe don't know, where can people find the classes to take and an instructor? Should they go to their like church or what do you recommend? Yeah. Um, a lot of parishes will sometimes even in their bulletins will list courses. They can contact, you know, their parish office. Um, for sure, contact your diocese, right? Your diocesan office will give you a list. Mm-hmm. They'll have a list of people in your diocese who you can teach, who can teach to you, but also, um, if you do any sort of research online and kind of find what method do you think will work for you? And again, it might change, right? Like I learned three different methods as our lives have shifted and changed. We found what works best for our family. Um, but there are so many courses being taught via zoom now, right? So you're not really stuck with whatever you're, whatever is local to you, right? You can learn whatever method you want to learn that you think is out there. And so you could even do a quick Google search for, you know, Creighton instructor or Marquette instructor. And I guarantee you, you'll have personal websites pop up and like, you know, you can email that teacher and try to set up a time um, to start teaching and they'll put their prices on there. Because again, every, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but every method um, has a different uh, cost to it, right? Some are cheaper and some, you know, have an ongoing um, fee in the sense of like the the Marquette method with the monitor, you have to pay for the the test strips, right? Every month Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So you can also look at what your budget is, but also don't let your budget um, hold you back necessarily. Like I know here in our diocese, um, women and or couples who maybe can't afford a class or afford the monitor can reach out to the diocese and the diocese will help cover, almost like give a little scholarship to cover that for the couple. 
That's good to know because I feel like a lot of people are hesitant. I know I was even like a sticker shock a little bit on the price of an instructor, the commitment of that, what that price would look like from a month to month basis. And um, if someone just doesn't have the means for that, it, I can see how they would be resistant towards NFP, but that's good to know that there are resources out there that if you are in a position where you can't afford the extra help or resources that you might be able to get, get that covered. So thank you for explaining that. Let's dive into charting a little bit because it's a whole other thing. And I feel like we could have an entire episode just on charting, but do you have just any tips for charting? Because can feel so overwhelming and just so frustrating. And then on top of that, are there any apps on your phone that you would recommend women use to help with charting? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it's kind of funny with this question though, because I, I have to confess, I hardly ever actually write things down on a chart anymore. And maybe that just comes with 12 years of doing it that you just kind of know and remember. Um, but when we first began charting, uh, 12, yeah, probably almost 13 years ago, thinking when we were engaged, um, I don't know, do they even still have paper charts anymore, but that's what we use. And, and it's just funny to think of how far NFP has come even in like a decade, right? It just seemed to have like grown and expanded so fast. Um, but when we started, I would gather my observations for the day. And then at the end of the day, I would tell them to Adam. And he would be the one to write them down on the chart. Um, and that way we could both be like doing this like together, right? It's not just my fertility, but it's our fertility. And so um, that's what we did as far as um, for charting. Um, I think as far as like feeling overwhelmed with it, I think just take it slow. Like it's okay to have a day where maybe you're just, you just don't know, right? Am I reading this observation right is this what it's supposed to happen? And then reach out to your instructor, right? If, if you have a question. Um, but there are a bunch of apps out there, right? There's Kindera, Natural Cycles, Fertility Friend, Fem, Cycle Go Pro, Marquette Fertility App, right? There's an app for all of them, anything. You know, you, you can pay for one, you can get a free one. They're out there. Um, I think one thing to note, though, is that the vast majority of the apps out there are secular. Um, which I think does show how much women are desiring more natural options, right? That there's this market for this now. But this also means that during a fertile period, the app might suggest using a barrier method, right? So like a condom, for example, um, which again, we would say is not permissible by church teaching. So it's perfectly okay to use these secular apps. Um, it's just know that, you know, when they suggest using a condom that you just got to ignore that sort of thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that's good to know because I have some apps that are like uh, always pushing something like that. So uh, I think it's pretty common to, to find those things pop up on those apps. Okay, so we have just time for one more question. Um, and I, I want to use one where we can tie in our, the men in our lives because yeah. I know from my own personal experience that it can be hard when you're married and, and feel like this just all falls on the woman because it's our body. We're the ones responsible for checking. We're the ones responsible for testing. And like, whether your husband wants to or not, it, there's very little that they feel like they can do to help out in the process. So 
This question says, how can men better support women throughout natural family planning? It always seems like the work falls on women. And I would just love any tips in, for involving spouses in the process. And you kind of mentioned how Adam supported you um, while you guys charted, but would love any more tips or advice that you have for um, the men. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things to do is just talk about your observations, right? With each other. Um, you know, Adam will often ask me what my monitor reading for the day was. Um, he will often remind me to make sure I'm drinking enough water as I found um, that I have more accurate monitor readings when I'm well hydrated, right? Where there's not like a higher concentration in like a smaller amount of urine sort of thing. So um, that's one thing that he's always doing. Um, you know, another way to involve your spouse is to get an app that you can both have on your phone that syncs together. So like if you input your observations, he will have immediate access to that as well and can see that. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, also the husband should always take a class with the wife, right? It's not just her fertility, it's their fertility. Um, as far as the work goes, I think I felt this more in the early years of charting, in the early years of our marriage, um, where it did seem like a lot of work and, and especially with, you know, different methods where you really did have to remember your observations. Um, I couldn't just flip back to my monitor and be like, oh yeah, I did. I had a high reading today. Right. Like, um, and so, um, you know, even just like a lot of work that like, okay, I had this, this observation, not let me go back and check the rules. Right. What were, what were the rules regarding this observation? Um, but I can say 12 years in now that like the work seems minimal, um, and it just kind of becomes a way of life. You know, like I said earlier, checking the toilet paper for, for cervical mucus has become second nature. Um, and so is remembering the rules. So mo the most work I usually have to do during the day is just collecting a urine sample in the morning, dipping the test strip for 50, for 15 seconds, and then waiting five minutes. Um, and so I think that that, um, you know, for me, I feel like it's minimal work. Um, but I also have a very detail-oriented personality and I can see for some women, right? This is a personality thing, you know, um, maybe they're just not into the details and um, it's just one more thing to add to their day. And so I think it can really become an opportunity to like offer things up, right? This, this little moment in the day of checking your fertility. Um, but also as far as like involving the spouse, I think one of the beautiful things when you start talking about your observations, right, it automatically leads to, well, wait, are we trying to avoid this month? Or are we trying to conceive this month, right? So mm -hmm. NFP is now fostering this communication between the spouses. Um, you're talking about very intimate things, right? We were told, if you can talk about mucus together, you can mm -hmm. talk about anything, right? And I just think that's so true, right? Nothing is off limits where, you know, like that, that, it's like taking, you know, that self gift to another level, that vulnerability, um, because we're talking about very personal, intimate things here. And so it also fosters, you know, we're talking now discernment about a baby. Well, one spouse says, well, I feel really overwhelmed because of this. And, you know, your husband, husband might be like, well, really, I didn't know you were really overwhelmed. What can I do to help out more at home? Right. And so, um, I think this, you know, the fertility talk is just kind of a launching pad into like deeper things. Right. And, you know, the other things that it does is just that fosters the growth in prayer, um, in virtue. We talked about self-control. Um, 
And so, yeah, there's just so many facets to NFP that really are a gift to Mm -hmm. our marriages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think one of the hardest things that I've been learning too, is that when it is up to the woman to know their body and, and be the ones checking and charting and testing, it can often feel like it's all on your shoulders for like, okay, we can do the deed or no, we can't. And it just like takes the sexiness out of the the moment. And it like, is that it it feels like a lot of pressure, you know, it's like, well, I think that we're, we'll be okay, but I don't know. And then, you know, I just, I feel like that. And I'm sure people are listening to this and are like, yes, I feel like that. Like, and I I think maybe that just goes back to like, this is just part of like, you got to offer it up and a little bit of the suffering that is seasonal, hopefully. Um, but I, I feel that deeply. Yeah, well, right it's, it goes back to like, this is sometimes hard, right? Mm-hmm. There are times when it's not hard and there are, you know, times when it is and, you know, that feeling of being the gatekeeper or even, you know, especially postpartum, like if I get a high reading, I'll sometimes just feel really guilty. Like, oh, um, he was really looking forward to having sex tonight. And I, you know, I've had how many lows in a row? I wasn't expecting this. And like, now we've got to abstain for a little while, right? Until I can reset my monitor. And so um, just feeling like guilty even, but I think those are the things to communicate to one another, right? Those are the things I go to Adam and say like, oh, I just feel really guilty. And he'll be like, well, why? It's not your fault. Like, Mm -hmm. again, you're not in control, you know? And, you know, for us, like I said, we found little things of like, oh, I need to make sure I'm drinking a lot of water. Or there've been a couple times that I didn't actually pee before I went to bed. Right. And so when I woke up in the morning, like there was a lot of estrogen, like built up sort of thing. And if I get a high, I get a high and we follow those rules. I'm not like, well, I think I'm going to be okay. It's going to be fine because of all these other things. No, it's just a reminder of like, do what I can. And then realize the rest is like out of my control and then talk about that. You know, we've, we've had those conversations like, oh, I just hate that. You know, I am the, feels like I'm the gatekeeper. And, and so we've had the discussion like, well, how, how can it not be like, how, how, you know, do you ask me earlier in the day? And then I don't know, there's just a lot of things. And again, the couple needs to talk about, um, but I think too, um, I think we've been molded and shaped due to our culture and thinking that sex should always be spontaneous Mm -hmm. or that's like the best it should be right. Whether it's our movies or the music or whatever. I was reading something recently that was kind of like, yeah, like saying like the spontaneity in sex, well, it can happen and it's fun. That's good. That's not usually the norm. And we need to have more realistic expectations, not to say like, we all sex is going to be boring and everything. No, sex is beautiful and it's good and it's fun. And in fact, sex that respects the language of the body is the best it can be, right? Because you know that you are giving yourselves fully to one another, not holding anything back. Um, So anyway, that being said, though, I think um, sometimes the whole like spontaneity thing kind of really messes with our mind. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. That's a great reminder. Well, Kara, this was such a great episode. So informative. So, so good. And I know that 
it will be so helpful for many of our listeners. And I just want to thank you so much for your time and your research and just how well-spoken you were and answering all of our submitted questions, because that was a lot that we threw at you and you just answered it so well. So thank you so much. And I know that this is going to be such a blessing for many of our listeners. Um, We always end our episode in prayer. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, I want to thank you so much for the gift of this podcast and the ability to have these conversations. I want to pray for all of those couples who are either dating, married, single, and are questioning natural family planning and your will. And I want you to I hope and pray that you open their minds and their hearts to this process. I'd like to pray for the couples who are currently struggling with infertility and who are longing to be parents, that you bless them, you comfort them, and you walk alongside them throughout their journey. I want to pray for the couples who are in a state of abstaining to give them courage, comfort, and strength. I want to pray for all of our listeners. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a friendly review. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Sacrifice of Praise Podcast and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode. Until next time, know that we are praying for you. Bye. Bye.